Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth, development, and advancement of teams, leaders, and cultures, or what I like to call the TLC of business. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional, founder of TeamsRock.com and the Teamwork Advantage podcast. Every week, we help you with ideas and strategies that you can use to use in the workplace or at home to communicate more effectively with your team members. And those team members can be either in your church, your synagogue, your HOA, or in your normal workplace. So let's have a little bit of fun. Let's get back, sit back, and enjoy the conversation today with a gentleman by the name of Doug Raybold. Now, Doug's a second-time guest joining us here on the podcast. We're excited to have Doug joining us because when Doug joins us on the here, we never know the direction it's going to go. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of energy, and I promise you this, Doug's got a lot of information for us. Give you a little background on Doug. If you're not familiar with his background, he is a committed IT leader who has had direct oversight with more than a half a dozen different IT processes in his 13-year IT career. He's led teams of 350 people, managed contracts and assets values over $60 million. Doug successfully transformed, transition, transformed from sales. That's not a normal move, you might think from sales to IT back in 2009. He's a lifelong learner. He attended the University of Illinois, holds numerous IT industry certifications. Doug is an HDI certified instructor with over 10 years of experience. He's currently serving as the president of HDI, National Board of Directors, on the Strategic Advisory Council for the ITAM Forum. He previously served on the Sharewell Customer Advisory Board, helping guide development from the customer's perspective. Doug's also been named AOTMP IT Management Professional of the Year in 2021. He was a finalist in HDI Best Service and Support Manager of the Year in the same year and selected as People's Choice winner for the 2018 Manager of the Year. He's also recently been named as a 2022 Top 25 Influencer with IT Service Management and Customer Experience. Doug's all about customer experience, customer satisfaction, and employee growth and development. Despite being uh, self-professed as a process guy, he's a committed servant leader and most proud ability to grow and develop and talent at every level of the organization. Welcome back, Doug Raybold. Thanks for having me back, Greg. We're excited about this. Yeah, yeah always exciting to have somebody. I don't know. You and I have known each other for what? I guess uh, almost 10 years now. Going yes. to and from the HDI conferences and working with that. Um, things have changed over the years. There's no doubt the pandemic has brought about a lot. And today we're just going to kind of get into something. And something I recently learned, you came, you came out and told everybody and uh, re- reviewed or revealed the fact that you have ASD or commonly referred to as Asperger's. Why did you come out yeah. now? And is it something new? Yeah, great question, Greg, and, and uh, appreciate you having me back. And uh, you're right. We, we often range all over the topics when, when you and I talk. So uh, appreciate you having me back. Um, 
So yes, I, I did recently reveal, um, just this month in fact, um, that uh, I do have autism spectrum disorder or ASD. Um, originally I was diagnosed in the early 2000s with what was then known as Asperger's. Um, it's no longer called Asperger's, that's no longer a clinical classification. It's been moved into the, the ASD um, arena. But um, the, the, the reason of, of why now is, you know, I've, I've found that um, of late, a lot of people that, that have um, ASD or, or autism spectrum disorder um, have begun to reveal that fact. And, you know, one, one of the things that I've felt is that for, you know, probably the last 20 years since I first was diagnosed with Asperger's at the time, um, I've kind of you know, lived in the, in the uh, neurodiverse or, or uh, you know, neurodiverse closet, if you will. And one of the things that, uh, that I feel I'm, I'm at that stage in my career at is that I don't want others to feel that they need to remain in that closet. Um, and, and to that point, you know, we're, we're in an era today when uh, DEI initiatives, diversity, equity, and, and, and inclusion are, are, are firmly rooted in, in just about every corporate culture, at least with any company that I'd want to be associated with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully that most of you and, and most, uh, most people would want to be associated with. And so when it comes to DEI initiatives, uh, I think one of the things we need to focus on is that that, that isn't just race, creed, color, religion, and, and, and all of the you know, gender-based things. Um, it also has to do with neurodiversity. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that I hope to accomplish by my revelation this month during April um, Autism Acceptance Month is truly acceptance um, so that, that those who, like me, um, may have been, you know, in, in essence, in the closet, um, feel empowered, feel enabled to come out and, and actually, you know, be who they are. Mm-hmm. Now, you've known about this in your life for several years, am I right? Uh, about 20 years, yeah. About 20 years. So back in your sales career, you, you knew that you were on the spectrum, and then you still transitioned. So let's talk about that transition for a minute. Was that harder or easier knowing what you know now? Um, so, so I, I, it's a great question, Greg. And, and I would say it probably made that transition easier for me. And the reason being uh, one of the, one of the things that is an aspect of my neurodivergence is that um that I have this ability to hyper-focus on things. And so I'm also very process-oriented, as you mentioned in, in my bio. Um, and so I always looked at sales as a process. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people in the sales industry uh, believe in the flavor of the day. You know, whatever earns me the, the biggest commission is what I'm going to yep. sell. Um, I never looked at it that way. I always looked at people come for two reasons. People come to a sales interaction for two reasons. They either come because they're trying to avoid some pain that they're feeling right now, mm-hmm. or they come to approach some kind of pleasure that they hope to in, enjoy in the future. Um, so so it, was either, it was either of those two things is why people buy things. Um, so my process was, is in essence, kind of interview them. Um, 
ask a lot of open-ended questions, um, identify what their need is. What, what's, what, what is their current situation? What is the need? Do I have a solution that will fulfill that need? And then provide the solution if I do. And frankly, if not, and this drove some of my sales managers crazy when I was in a sales career, I'd tell them where they could find that need. You know, if that meant referring them to to a competitor, I would do so mm-hmm. um, because it earned me a lot of respect. And and what happened is, you know, in, in my sales career, I, I earned a lot of future business by taking that approach. Um, when I transitioned to IT, I really kind of took it from that same perspective. I, I applied the same process. Mm-hmm. Let's IT, be clear about one thing here. I want to make sure we address this. You didn't just leave sales and go into IT management. Tell everybody where uh, you started in IT. Yeah, so so there there was actually a yeah there there was actually a transition phase, um, and and it's it's interesting the way that happened. Um, I, I actually had to teach myself how to migrate data from one system to another as part of a sales project that I was leading at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that was sort of my, my, I, my baptism by fire in it. And I, you know, I always had an interest in technology. And after that, I was like, well, yeah, I can do this. And, and so I did. Um, but, but yeah, I, I really, upon making that transition, I, I really just applied that same process is, you're only really interacting with a customer when you're in IT, usually because there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so it was identify the problem, use the, the troubleshooting steps to identify what the, the challenges are, and then provide the solution. So it was for me that that approach um, made that transition much easier, I think, than, than some may have found it. Yeah. Now, you used the term a moment ago called hyperfocus. I'm assuming that ability to hyperfocus helped you in part of the transition, being able to make the move over and to solve problems. Am I on the right path there or, or not? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, one of the aspects of of my neurodivergency is that, um, that I do have that ability to hyperfocus. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, when, when it comes to anything, what, what I tend to do is just devour an entire subject. Um, I'm, I'm a learner by nature. Um, I love learning things and I love learning things inside and out, which, which is an aspect of, of people with ASD is they tend to, to have the, these topics that are just all consuming. Um, and what I what I've always done throughout my life, and and it's been you know frankly I majored in five different things in college because I would go in I would want to learn everything about something and then I would switch into something else because once I learned everything it's like what's the point in getting a degree in it you know <laughs> let's figure out something else I, I'm interested in that sounds um, like it sounds like you had a lot of squirrels <laughs> yeah yeah and and it wasn't even squirrels because squirrels is, is usually it's just like I start focusing on something and then I just immediately move to something else. Well, that's um, me. That's not, yeah, that, that's, that's not the, that's not my, um, my typical neurodiversity. Um, what I do is I just, I have to learn it everything end to end. And as soon as I learn everything end to end at that point, it's like, well, okay, now let's move on to the next thing. So, so it is a little bit different than the squirrels approach. Um, but uh, that, that's, that's, it's really the, the way that I've done it throughout my career. And, and even, like I said, even going back to, to college, 
um, I, I would, I, I always like learning everything I can about something and then moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's that hyper-focus from a long-term perspective, which, which is, is the, that, uh, focus items aspect, but then there's also, you know, sort of a day-to-day hyper-focus, which is a little bit different And day-to-day hyper-focus is once you, once you home in on something that you're working on, you just want to, I mean, you want to ride it all the way to the end. Um, now that can you, be you good and bad, right? It can be. Yeah. You know, we, you and I've talked about this before working from home in a pandemic situation. Okay. Um, that, that can be a plus and a minus on so many different levels. I would assume the hyper-focus was really a benefit to you working from home. Am I right? Uh, so, so from a work perspective, it was absolutely a benefit um, because I didn't have the, you know, the, the interruptions. If there was something I was working on, I, I could easily work it end to end without interruptions, uh, without the, you know, w- without, you know, a specific meeting on my calendar that I had to get up and, you know, walk halfway across, uh, across campus to get to and, and, you know, all those, all those interruptions. So, so in the work from home world, it absolutely allowed me to focus in because I could budget my own time um, mm-hmm. to focus in on, on what I wanted to, when I wanted to, and, and work it end to end. Um, but the downside to that is in the work from home world, um, it also took me away from my family more because I would get focused in on something and, and, and want to work it to its conclusion to the exclusion of, of all else. And so, you know, th- there were times that that my wife would, you know, find me sitting in the same place without having gotten up to, to eat or, you know, even go to the restroom for, you know, 12 hours. Um, I sure as heck finished what I was working on, but, you know, to the expense of, you know, it was like there was no one else in the house. It was just me. And, you know, it was, that was my office. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there were times that she'd come over and she'd, she'd actually like put her hand in front of my laptop and she'd be like, you need to eat <laughs> and, <laughs> and make me get up and, and go sit down with her and, and eat lunch. Yeah, okay. So good. She was a good teammate helping you on that. So she was, yes. So let's, let's look at it for this aspect, leading people with a neurodivergency. Um, how, how do you identify what are things you can do? How is it different? How is it similar? to leading someone who may not necessarily be on the spectrum? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm often asked now, um, you know, I haven't been over the course of my career because nobody knew mm-hmm. um, that nobody knew that I was ASD, but um, I'm often asked now, um, what are the, what are the things that, you know, that, that make you, identify as as neurodivergent or, or asd because you don't seem like you are you know you, you seem like a normal guy and the key um, thing it, is the, the word is the spectrum and that spectrum is a very wide spectrum and so much of it comes from tv and film you know like rain man or whatever so those are that's extreme so i'm sorry i interrupt you but i'm just really curious where you're going with this yeah and so you know when when I've been led, um, you know, when, when people have been leading me, they, they had no idea. And, and so what they would do is they would 
recognize my strengths. The good leaders would recognize my strengths and, and leverage them. Um, my strengths are, you know, hyper-focus, being able mm-hmm. to focus on, on one task and, and just knock it out of the park, you know, probably quicker than, than anybody else would. Um, being, you know, in, in essence, ha- having almost encyclopedic knowledge of a variety of topics because they were those topics that at one point or another in my career I devoured. Um, and, and so, you know, they had no idea that why those were my, that were my strengths. They just knew that they were my strengths. And so what I've done throughout my career is emulated those leaders who, who I found to be most effective. And, and those are the ones who identified people's strengths. Um, you know, there, there were, I, I had, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word leaders here. I had managers who would try to fix the things that weren't good about Doug. You know, let, let's make Doug a, you know, an Excel guru because, you know, we, we need Doug to do pivot tables. Really? I'm, I'm a director. Do you need me to do pivot tables? Is that, is that the best use of Doug's time? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there, there are things that, you know, there, the, that difference between leaders and managers, leader, leaders find your strengths and, and leverage them. Managers try to fix the things that they feel are broken. And so I've always led by that respect. Um, so, you know, do I look for, you know, things that are neurodivergent? Um, do I look for people like me? No. In fact, I look for a diversity uh, on my team. And then what I do is, is I try to find those, those various strengths on different people's, you know, in, in, in different people's abilities and capabilities and, and, and core competencies that will lend to a successful team. And really, what you have just described is no different than a leader should be doing across the board. Because as you mentioned earlier, some of your best leaders, you know, they had no idea. And you, so they identified your strengths, be able to build to those strengths. I assume the same thing works in motivation. I assume the same thing works in delegation all the way across the board. So let's talk a little bit now, because April is Autism Acceptance Month. Okay, so we're right there. Were you concerned? I mean, you've had a great deal of success. And like I said, you and I've known each other for 10 years. I did not know that you were neurodivergent in that aspect. Was there a concern about approaching it today and coming out when when you've come out and just explained everybody about this? Was there a concern on your behalf from a career standpoint? Um, you know, I, I would say it's probably taken me 20 years because of that concern. Um, but, you know, Greg, here, here's where I am now. And, and, and I've said this uh, about, uh, about my involvement with HDI, with, which, you know, you mentioned in, in my bio. I, I'm at that stage of my career where it's time to give back. Um, rather than being concerned about, about myself and, and what the possible implications are, I would much rather be a role model and, and model the behaviors and, and the courage that I want everyone to have. And, and so to me, it's important right now to, you know, to come out of the closet, if you will, as, as ASD um, and, and talk about neurodivergency because I don't want people to, to live in the shadows or live in fear that you know, they've got a diagnosis of ASD today and feel that it could harm their careers. Um, I, you know, I, I'm so unconcerned about the, the potential fallout 
that to me it's it's much more important that that I model the you know model what I would want someone to have done for me 20 years ago. And that's so powerful because with everything going on in the world today, coming out and admitting this, it shows your ability to be vulnerable, which makes you, I believe, a stronger leader uh, across the board and when it comes down to all of that. So with some neurodivergencies, there are pros and cons to this pandemic recently. Okay. Um, can, you, can you address some of that with different people on the spectrum? There are some people who just have absolutely thrived, like your hyperfocus. In, a, in this pandemic, yet while others who may be more social based, if you will, tend to struggle. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, and great. Again, a, a great question, Greg. The, the key here, and, and you touched on it just a little while ago, is that that ASD is probably the most important word in autism spectrum disorder is spectrum and and so there's there's a wide variety of of ways that it manifests and and you know you you touched on some of the stereotypes too you know the stereotypes are rain man and and sheldon and you know all, all these characters that that seem like they can't get along in the world um that you know if, if we were lived in the caveman days that they you know probably be the first ones eaten by the bear um and, and i think what's critical is to understand that you know it, kind of on a science fiction note, you know, we are among you, <laughs> you know, the, the, nobody had any idea that, that I had ASD for 20 years. Um, that's not to say that I didn't have my little quirks. Um, you know, there are things that I've done throughout my career that it's funny, I, I've actually leveraged them as strengths, not even realizing that, that I was doing them. Um, and, and one of the things that, that I, uh, often find myself doing is repeating something. If there's, mm -hmm. if there's something that I want to emphasize, there's a point I want to make, I repeat it. And I usually repeat it two or three times. And, you know, I've found that I was doing it naturally. It wasn't, it wasn't a conscious effort that, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of people do that from, from a conscious perspective. To me, it was just the way to do things. It, if there's something that's sticking in my mind is important, I repeat it. And it's like, I repeat it in my head. And so it comes out of my mouth. Um, and, and interestingly, as, as a leader, I found that team members were ultimately, it was sinking in with them and they would say it back to me at a later date, you know, maybe a week or a month later, they would repeat back to me exactly what I had said to them several times. And, mm -hmm. and I wasn't doing it consciously so that they would absorb it. It's just to me as, as part of my focus, um, I, I naturally would repeat it. Right. Um, so going back to you know, how that, you know, how, how the pandemic and how the work from home environment has affected us, um, because it's a spectrum, it's, it's dramatically different for different people. Um, I tend to be much more social or on the social end of, of that ASD spectrum. Um, but, you know, I, I've been okay, you know, I, I, while, while it's driven me nuts that I can't have water cooler talk and, you know, I, I can't take somebody in and say, hey, you know, let's go have chat over coffee, you know, so that mm -hmm. I can get to know you a little better. You know, I, I've had to had to schedule water cooler time. And that's actually what I called it, where I do, you know, a, a one hour where I'd make myself available. If you wanted to pop into a Zoom room with me, you could. And we could talk about whatever. It wasn't a one on one. It was, hey, let's chat. Um, Not necessarily about work either. Right. Exactly. In fact, my preference was it wasn't. 
um, that it that was just natural conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are others because of, of, you know, having a less social nature that they absolutely embraced working from home um, and, and loved the fact that, you know, they didn't have to have those noisy environments. You know, I, I, I come from a service desk environment and, and, you know, those can be very noisy because you've got calls coming in constantly and you've got people talking. And, you know, I have some of that challenge with with um, being, you know, I, when, when there's when there's background noise, it's hard for me to filter out background noise. And so so some people with ASD, you know, embrace the fact that in work from home, they didn't have to deal with that background noise. They didn't have to deal with flickering fluorescent lights um, because the way that that people on uh, with autism spectrum disorder process information can be very different. Their sensory perceptions are different. Um, they, they may see actually the flicker of a fluorescent light. You may not realize this, but a fluorescent light, while it appears constant to the neurotypical mind, it is constantly flickering. And so, you know, some of us see that flicker. And, and so there, there's these different things. And, you know, I, I've found that, um, that, that some of the things, you know, I, I feel better about working from home. Um, I'm a germaphobe from way before the pandemic, and I love that I don't have to go and touch, you know, a handrail that I know, you know, a thousand people have touched before me just in the last hour. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's things that have been beneficial to those of us on certain aspects of the spectrum and things that have been beneficial to people on the other end. Um, so just like the neurotypical community, the neurodiverse community um, some of us love working from home. Some of us don't like it as much. Mm-hmm. And, and some of us find different aspects. Yeah. And it goes back. I mean, the, the model that I work with is the everything disc model. And half of that spectrum is more social based. Half of that is more task based. Half of the up to the top is faster driven, faster paced. Part of it is slower. But there is no difference there. It is just people are different. There's yes. no right or wrong. And it's being able to identify those things, being able to just listen to somebody. And that helps you as a leader, I'm sure, is having your own background with neurodivergency. I'm sure that's helped you become a better leader. Would you agree with that? I would. And, and that's not the case for everybody. And here again, exactly. This is where we talk about again, culture. everybody's yeah. different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in my case, um, you know, what, I think back to when I transitioned from being an individual contributor uh, in sales to being a leader in sales. And even when I transitioned from being an individual contributor in IT to being a leader in IT, um, I've always had certain aspects of my personality that lent themselves to leadership. But I also had aspects of my personality that tended to be very challenging um, and things that, you know, some, some leaders didn't always appreciate. Um, and so, you know, as I've learned to lead, I've also taken on, you know, as, as I learned to lead, I took, I took direction and correction appropriately. I, you know, I, I think back to, I remember one time that, you know, one of, one of my leaders um, said, in, in all honestly, he, he told me, he's like, Doug, you're a very bright guy. Use your powers for good, not for evil. And, and, and you know, I remember that, almost like, you know, with, with utmost clarity, almost every day. And, and so as I approach something, I, I approach it from, you know, what is the potential outcome? And, and so 
that's one of the aspects of my neurodiversity is I always am looking forward to, you know, depending on the options available, you know, sort of risk reward, um, you know, if this, then, then yeah, what's yeah. the projected outcome. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's how I've had to teach myself to lead, if you will, is emulate those who came before me that, that were good leaders, um, emulate their behaviors, and then also um, apply my innate ability to, to look at potential outcomes to actions. And, and so while I may not feel things the way that the neurotypical community does, um, what I've learned is through my interactions with the neurotypical community, um, what the probable outcomes of, of certain actions okay. are. And, and so I've learned how to, how to better, how to better work within the social context. Um, and, and it's funny, I, I think back to when my wife and I got back, you know, got together 27 years ago, um, you know, I, I was not a very sociable person. Um, and, and the only time I was is if, if I had a drink in my hand. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I had to, I had to socially lubricate in order to be a social person. Um, but that's changed over time because my wife is a very sociable person, very outgoing, um, very much an extrovert. And, and so I learned through her how to be a sociable person. And, and, you know, now when, when I'm at conferences or what have you, you know, I'm very outgoing. I I walk right up to people and, you know, introduce myself and ask them if it's their first time attending. And, you know, I, then, then I'll like hook them up with other people because I know I don't have the bandwidth to stay with them during a whole conference, but I introduce them to other people who I know will, will take them under their wing. And and Mm -hmm. so I've, I've learned how through others, what the, you know, what the benefit of of being sociable is and and while it may not be natural to me it's it's become part of me Mm -hmm. and i've been the recipient of that you've introduced people to me through that mindset that direction and it's one of those great things because that that truly goes back to dr stephen covey's concept of win-win of people working together so yeah absolutely let's let's talk a little bit here what are some things if we could give a leader, uh, you've had a great deal of success over the years. What is something you might tell a neurotypical leader in working with, whether it's neurotypical or neurodivergent uh, members on their team? What are, what are a couple of tips that you might give them to try and do to become a more powerful leader? Yeah. And, and one of the, um, one of the best books I ever read, and, and I also tend to be a, a fairly voracious reader um, as, as part of my wanting to consume a topic in its entirety. I, I love to, to read constantly. Um, and one of the best books I've, I've ever read on leadership is It's Your Ship by uh, uh, Admiral Abramoff. And It's Your Ship says, whatever you inherit is yours. So you figure out how to make it work. Um, it, it's easy to sweep things under the rug. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to to turn things around, but it's also very rewarding to turn things around. So um, one of the things that that I picked up from that book and, and have applied is one of the first things that he did as, as a rear admiral. Um, he went in and he interviewed every single sailor on his ship. And that's, you know, I, I'm I'm not former military, but uh, I, I do have a lot of family that's former military. 
and and that's almost unheard of in in the military environment mm-hmm. is you know it's all chain of command so you know typically the you know the admiral would speak to his you know his uh, lieutenants and they would speak to their midshipmen and and, and so it, you know mm-hmm. it, it would be down chain of command and then oh report back to me on what you find well he actually interviewed every single member of his of his ship um when, when he took over command and that, that, and that was an awful powerful. lot of people too yeah and, and that was such a powerful approach because what it did is is, is it made them understand that he cared but what he also did is he got their permission in each of those interviews to jot down some things about him. And, and he didn't ask him about, you know, what's your duty? You know, what, you know, <laughs> what, what do you do on the ship? He asked them about their families. He asked them about their homes. He asked them about, you know, what, what are the things that, that you care about? What do you want to do when you get out of the Navy? Um, and, and these kind of things gave him insight into who they were as people, not as sailors. And so I've always tried to make that a part of, of how I conduct my business. Um, and, and, you know, I, I would encourage every, every leader, get to know your team individually, get to understand them, because then you understand what their motivations are. You understand what's important to them. It helps you to design rewards programs that matter. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, you, you know, going back to my sales days, oh, well, you sell so many, you know, X mattresses and, and you'll get X number of dollars. Great. Okay. That's great. But, you know, maybe mm-hmm. dollars isn't my big motivator. Maybe, right. you know, if you offer Absolutely. me an extra day off, I'll be happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's so, really interesting because it's, it's all about finding out what works for different people. And yeah. it's, it's so funny because you're talking in sales. And one of the things I always say is everybody's in sales at one time or another. Okay. You didn't get the job you got because you, you know, you just walked in and said, hi, I want the job. You got the job because you had to sell yourself on it. Okay. My, my late wife uses, used to use the term all the time. She didn't know whether she was proposed to or closed. So we're all <laughs> constantly in some form of sales and great, great leaders are great listeners and they're great sales folks because they listen to what the people need and they, they go to fill that need. And that, yeah, that's absolutely. really powerful. Yeah. So what is something you would like people to know? I mean, this is Autism Acceptance Month. What is something you want the general population to know about this month? Just anything pops to mind. What is it? So, so what, I, what I want everybody to know is that, that just because somebody has autism spectrum disorder, and, and here's here's where where i'll throw out you know i already said that the most important word in that three word um diagnosis is spectrum um the least important word and the one that i like the least and and i think that most of the neurodiverse community likes least is disorder Mm -hmm. um it's it's difference you know and and i think there's going to come a day when when that disorder term is, is dropped um, ASD is just a different way of viewing the world. It's, it's, it's different perceptions. Um, I already mentioned, you know, the, the way we see things, um, the way that we hear things, the way that we process things is, is, is just different. Um, there's no right or wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what, what I want to come from this is, is acceptance, you know, and up until a few years ago, it was April was autism awareness month. Well, okay, great. So you're aware. 
you know, so, so the neurotypical community is aware there's people out there with autism. Okay, they knew that. that that's, that's not any great shakes to, to awareness. Mm-hmm. What is critical in this April is, and this began a few years ago, is, is acceptance. Accepting that the neurodiverse community exists, that we are, you know, I said it before, we are among you. Um, you know, we're, we're working side by side with you. You just may not know it. You know, there, there's a lot of people um, that I've worked with over the years that had no idea. They knew, again, they knew I was a little quirky, but they didn't know, you know, what my well, diagnosis was. I've been quirky was. too in my life, so there. <laughs> yeah. and, and I kept it secret for 20 years. Um, but now what, what I'm hoping is that, you know, through, through my coming out and, and through others coming out in, in this April and and whenever it is, whether it's April or not, that, that you accept we are just who we are. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what, you know, what our diagnosis is, what our, what our diversity or difference is. It's, it's just, we are who we are. We're no different. You know, I, I'm no different in May than I was in March. Uh, I'm the same person. Uh, I'm just a little bit more authentic because, you know, to your point, I, I've made myself vulnerable. I, I've, you know, I've come out and I've, I've said to the world, hey, th- this is who I am. And that's, that's really powerful. So, Doug, this is your second time on the Teamwork Advantage. Hopefully, we can get you back another time and talk about more things And once we're out through this pandemic and how things are starting to go and check in on some more of your accomplishments down the line. Um, I really thank you for your time joining us here today. We've covered a lot when we look at everything. And, folks, I want everybody to remember, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas that you can start to implement immediately. And Doug has shared those with us today, whether it's about general leadership or working with the neurodivergent community. Doug has helped us understand and bring awareness. And now it's up to us this month to take acceptance of autism. You know, once a week, you get ideas that you can act on. And I'm going to challenge you to start acting on those ideas right away. Each week, we bring you a new guest talking about teamwork, leadership, and culture. So until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you are not average. So go out and make today and every day excellent and exceptional. Thanks again, Doug. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Greg. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.